Welcome back to the program. Let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, I thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name for the gift of St. Joseph, for the way that he is connected to our lives. Lord, I pray that you give us insight, give us encouragement, give us a sense of confidence in the intercession of the saints and in the way that St. Joseph is to play a part in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. Thank you, Lord, for taking care of us in those places in our lives where we feel vulnerable, where we feel a bit out of control, we feel a bit at a loss, and we have to trust in you. Lord, give us that grace to trust in you, and may St. Joseph pray for us and pray for our loved ones, especially those who are in those vulnerable places, in those places where we, uh, we don't have the power to take care of them the way that we would want but we trust that you are taking care of them in the way that they need. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, so Saturday, I had the wonderful blessing of being at St. Joseph's in Otis Orchards in Washington, uh, the eastern part of Washington, right next to the um, Idaho border, and uh, began with a, a beautiful mass on, on the solemnity. It's the highest type of feast, but not a holy day of obligation but a beautiful feast day during Lent and happening on a Saturday. What a great opportunity to have a um, like a, a half a day retreat. And that's what happened. And it was it was beautiful. It was The mass was well attended. Father Jose, Father Joseph, how about that for a pastor? What a great name. So we had Father Jose presiding at mass, the pastor of St. Joseph's in Otis Orchard on the Feast of St. Joseph. There you go, all lined up. <laughs> and for me, it was... It was beautiful because it's been two years since I've had the opportunity to give talks. I, I mean, I've given a couple of talks here and there, but really with COVID, things have been so much uh, more reduced, right? So fewer opportunities to be able to be together in church settings. And it was literally two years. So it was great to be back um, giving giving a talk again. And what I realized was I really love I really love teaching. I love it. And um, I, I, it just made me realize, okay, if I'm going to fulfill the God-given mission in my life, I need to really be seeking opportunities to give teachings live in person. So I know Carrie and I have been talking about doing something to gather families together out here. And that just confirmed in me that this is something that we are going to do. We, we just we got to find the right place, maybe at St. Mary's, maybe at St. Joseph's, somewhere over here to be able to be a, a gathering place for so many families who are intentional about living their faith to be able to come together for teaching. Okay, um, that's not the purpose of right now, except to say, you know, each of us has to go through that same task, right, of discerning their call and responding, Well, which leads me very beautifully to St. Joseph. So on the Feast of St. Joseph, uh, I uh, put together this set of two teachings that I'm going to unfold before uh, unfold for you today and, and likely tomorrow on Sound Insight. And so, um, what I'm what I did was is I started with this idea that um, in fact the church points us to the saints and teaches in her official teaching about the incredible role that those who have gone before us in faith have to play in our lives. In fact, it's one of the uh, most beautiful verses, in, verses, one of the most beautiful paragraphs in the Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about the cloud of witnesses. It's in the fourth part of the Catechism. And this cloud of witnesses are the saints who have gone before us. And it mentions there a beautiful and powerful truth that those who have gone before us in faith are doing three things. They gaze upon the Lord. They're looking upon the Lord. They're looking at him. You know, you'll see God face to face. They praise him, and they are constantly caring for those whom they've left on earth. Okay, did you hear that? They gaze upon God, and they're praising him. And yet, and yet, there's a way in which they also know about and are connected in an intimate way with the situations and the the situations that those they love 
The, the situations of those whom the Lord has connected them to are going through on earth, and they are loving them. They are loving them. And, and that beautiful truth, that beautiful truth of the communion of saints is this communion of those members of the church that exists between those in heaven, the church triumphant, those in purgatory, the church suffering, and those on earth, the church militant. That there's this union, there's this connection. And so if you've lost someone dear to you, have you ever sensed that they are with you? Have you ever sensed that they are watching over you? See, we live on an earth that's so like physical, it's present to our senses, that the world, the realm that is invisible, the spiritual world, is something that seems less real. But though heaven is invisible to earth, earth is not invisible to heaven. Heaven sees earth. The saints, your loved ones who have gone before you, they see you. And they are loving you, and not just loving you, but they are loving you better than they have ever loved you when they were on earth. No matter how well they loved you on earth, if they died in faith, if they died in communion with the Lord, and they were saved, they were brought through purgatory, and they're enjoying the reality of heaven, they are not forgetting you. Even gazing upon God, they don't forget you. In fact, the way that Thomas Aquinas puts it is that they see you in God. That they're, they don't have to turn away from God to look at you. It's not like, oh, let me stop praising God. The song's over. Now I can turn back and look, kind of look down at a distance upon the tiny little earth and think about, oh, what's happening down there? No, that's not it. Aquinas brings up this powerful and important truth of faith that the Lord created the world in the Word, the Word of God, the second person of the Trinity. And in the Word, we are gazing upon God. Remember now, we are in the Son, gazing upon the Father. But in the Son is where the world was created. So we can look upon the Blessed Trinity and in the Word see all of creation. And that means your loved ones. And so that, that's a theological way of explaining it. It doesn't um, exhaust the meaning of it, right? It's obviously a mystery, but a powerful truth. There's a powerful truth here that should be a comfort to us. But not only, not only your loved ones who've gone before you in faith, but yes, even saints can be connected by the Lord to your life. Saints can be connected intentionally by the Father. The Father has said, I've set aside a saint for you. I've set aside some saints to accompany you in your life. You see, God is not threatened by his saints. God loves to honor those who honored him while they lived. Saints are not robbing God of his glory, but they're displaying in a very particular way the glory of God and how the Lord honors those who have honored him. Because saints will always and only point people to the Lord. The saints have no other desire but to help foster in us what was so prominent in them which was a burning passion for the glory of God, a burning passion for Jesus Christ to love him in all things, to honor him in all things, and to serve the Lord with every ounce of their being. That's what the saints will be praying for. And so when we think about uh, the way that the saints are connected to our lives, we can stop and say, wait a minute, let's take a look at the greatest of saints, Right, the Blessed Mother, and how the Blessed Mother in her life is obviously the, the greatest intercessor among all of the saints. That, that, again, is not apart from Jesus. It's not like Jesus is the intercessor with the Father, and then alongside him are a bunch of other saints. No. Even the Blessed Mother, who is one of her titles, is Mediatrix of All Graces, 
which sounds a little bit like she seems to be alongside Jesus, sort of next to Jesus and maybe even somehow apart from Jesus in this whole reality of um, communicating graces from God to us, especially if she's the mediatrix, the mediator, the, the, the female mediator of all graces. Wait a minute. I thought all graces came from Christ. Well, yes, they do. Well, how can the Blessed Mother be the mediatrix of all graces and somehow not rob Christ of his role? Well, this, I'll give you a simple but also a profound explanation. The church is known as the mystical body of Christ. And Jesus Christ, what's his role in the mystical body of Christ? He's the head. We, the church, are the body of Christ. We each have different roles. What's the Blessed Mother's role? Well, if Jesus is the head of the body, the Blessed Mother, Mary, is the neck, the neck of the body of Christ. So now all of a sudden you stop and say, oh, wait a minute. Okay, I'm beginning to see where you're going here, Tom. And it's not me. I'm not making this stuff up. That how does the head communicate to the body? Well, everything that the head has to communicate to the body comes through the neck. Does the neck cause what is in the head to get to the body? No. <laughs> Everything that comes through the neck into the body comes from the head. All the graces that are that that the Blessed Mother functions as mediatrix for come from Jesus, the head of the body. But all of the graces that Jesus, the head, would bring to the body come through the neck, through the Blessed Mother. Blessed Mother is not a threat, even as mediatrix of grace. But even uh, even more than uh, even in addition to, in addition to, this understanding of the the way in which the saints play a part in glorifying the Lord by being raised up by God to play a certain role, there's also a, a role of model that the saints are meant to be models for us to imitate, and the Blessed Mother again is for us the greatest model. Uh, as a saint. And you've heard me talk about this on, on like great feast days of the Blessed Mother, holy days. I'll, I'll bring up, you know, the powerful insight from, I think it was St. Anselm, who, who referred to the Blessed Mother, referred to Mary, as the cause of our salvation. Now, wait a minute, here we go again. This seems like that's too far, that's too strong. Might have been St. Bernard of Clairvaux. But isn't that too much to say that she was the cause of our salvation? Because who's the cause of our salvation? Well, Jesus is. Jesus is the one who caused our salvation. He's the Redeemer. Okay, great. But let's ask the question, how did Jesus get to earth? Well, did Jesus just kind of teleport down? <laughs> no. Jesus got to be born. Jesus was permitted to be born on this earth, the condition for the possibility of Jesus to be born on this earth is Mary's yes. It was the fiat, the let it be done to me, of the Blessed Mother when the Archangel Gabriel came to her and said, you are to be the mother of the Son of God, the mother of the Messiah. She said, let it be done to me. She said, yes. It was her yes that was the God-established condition that allowed Jesus to be born into the world to bring redemption, salvation to the world. So she wasn't the cause in a way that was direct, but she was the permitting cause. She was the one who permitted the Lord to come in to do his work in the world. Well, that's a model for us. That's a model. By analogy, in some way, it's also true that in your world, in your family, in your marriage, in, in your home, in your relationships, the Lord is waiting to come and to be born. He's waiting to come and to bring salvation. And you know what he will use? He will use in some way your yes, your yes to him in order to be born into your world. And so go to the Blessed Mother and say, Blessed Mother, please, may your yes live in me. For I want to be an instrumental cause. I want, to be, I want to be purposefully used by the Lord that somehow my yes to him becomes a doorway for him to enter into the world where I live, my home, my relationships, 
my loved ones. My yes is important. My yes is fundamental to the work that the Lord wants to do in my life. That's just one, one simple way of saying that the Blessed Mother is as a saint, a model for us as well. When we come back, I want to turn to Joseph. Welcome back to the program. And um, oh, fun announcement. In the next segment of the program, my son John Mark is going to be joining me. Um, I let him know I was going to be talking about St. Joseph, and he's preparing uh, for the consecration to St. Joseph. And he said, hey, Dad, if you want me to be on, I'll be on. Uh, he was on, I don't know, a week and a half ago, a week ago, um, talking about um, how his Lent was going. And when he heard that I was going to be talking about St. Joseph um, today and tomorrow, he's like, oh, Dad, I, I, I'll be on. And I'm like, great, let's go. <laughs> so uh, in the previous section, I was just mentioning how the Blessed Mother was the greatest of the saints and how she had this particular role as established by God and also um, was a um, was a model for us in terms of living the life of faith. So what I'm going to do in the program today and tomorrow is focus in on how those two aspects of the lives of saints in communion with us are um, are applying to to Saint Joseph, like the Blessed Mother. She's the greatest of all saints. But you ever wonder who's the second greatest saint? Well, tradition says it's Saint Joseph. Now you stop and think about it, and you say, "Well, why would he be such a great saint?" Well, think about it. God the Father is uh, going to. Uh, the Blessed Trinity has willed to become man in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, God becoming man as a little baby. Who's going to take care of that baby? Well, St. Joseph. And the most perfect creature, the Blessed Mother, who's going to take care of her? St. Joseph. So let's just say that apart from the Blessed Mother, St. Joseph had the most exalted call among any human being to take care of the Son of God as a little infant and to raise him uh, into manhood and to take care of the Blessed Mother. What an awesome call. So he's considered the second greatest of all the saints. Now, when you think about, well, how is he to be connected to our lives? Well, we can, again, reflect on this in two ways. The first is through the ways that the church has identified um, the, the ways in which God has, seemingly, God has chosen to honor him, to raise him up. And that's through the various forms of patronage, right? Patron saints. And you probably, uh, when you think about that, you can probably immediately think of who's the patron saint of lost objects, right? St. Anthony. And if you dig into it a little bit further, you'll probably realize that, oh, saints are considered patrons of well, maybe certain professions or certain categories of people, like wives or uh, or pr professions like doctors or like St. Luke for doctors or professions um, uh, or situations in life, right? Patron saint of diocesan priests, St. John Vianney. Patron saint of situations uh, or calls, like uh, patron saints of missionary activity, right? So St. Francis Xavier and the Little Flower. Well, what about St. Joseph? Uh, he was also identified as the patron saint of, and yet if you think about what he is most probably widely known as the patron saint of, a few things come to mind. Well, the first is that he is the patron saint of the universal church. Yes. So he's the patron saint of every member of the church. So beyond any category, any particular profession or situation. No, he's the patron saint of any and every member of the church. The second is he is the patron saint of workers. And, uh, you know, he worked. That was, he was a carpenter. And so he, uh, we'll, we'll reflect more on that later, but just to say that's a second category of, um, of patronage that St. Joseph has. Uh, a third is the one that, again, maybe is the one he might be most famous for, and that's the patron saint of a happy death. And you say, well, why would he be the patron saint of a happy death? We'll explore that more fully, but we can just say quickly 
Well, it's because when he died, who was with him? The Blessed Mother and the Son of God. Pretty good bedside companions if you are going to die. But in this moment, what I want to reflect on is the fact that when you think about the patronage of St. Joseph, what do you notice? You notice that he's a patron saint of universal situations. He's a patron saint in a way that touches the fundamental characteristics of really almost every person's life, right? It applies to everyone. He's, well, every member of the church, everyone who works, well, who works? <laughs> everyone works in their own way. And um, the patron saint of, of a happy death, right? Everyone dies. It, you know, everyone here could benefit from his patronage. Oh, there's one other one. <laughs> patron saint of selling homes, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, you have the, uh, the St. Joseph statue, right? And there's a cute story. Uh, my, uh, I won't even tell it. It's, it's, it's a cute story. But uh, how many stories are there of, of having statues of St. Joseph that are blessed, that are buried in the ground, and uh, as, as a way of um, devote, devotedly calling upon his intercession in the selling of a home? Right? And I have definitely used St. Joseph. Haven't buried the statue, but I've definitely done the um, looking to St. Joseph for intercessory support in that. So, in all of these ways, St. Joseph is presented by the Lord in saying, in fundamental matters, in matters of work, and, and where you're living, and dying, and being a member of the church, St. Joseph is there, being raised up by God as a saint whom he will honor. Think about that. If God the Father entrusted the only Son of God into his hands— I will place my son into your hands to take care of. Do you think that God the Father now in heaven is going to refuse the request of St. Joseph, whom he has raised up in that role, right? So you want to get to know Joseph. Go to Joseph, that's the phrase. Go to Joseph, which was a reference of the Pharaoh in Egypt saying it to the Egyptians, go to Joseph when you're in famine, he'll take care of you. Uh, Joseph, the, the son of, uh, of Jacob. Um, and so this, go, this was applied in the, uh, in, in the tradition of the church, is go to Joseph when you have uh, a particular need, and St. Joseph will pray for you. So um, what I, what I want to do then is to say, where, where do we look to Joseph? How do we look to Joseph? Uh, in, in the forms of those patronage, but also connecting them to the things that we can tease out of Joseph's life, things that we can mine, we can dig into, we can explore, and, and learn more about Joseph's life as a way of building a relationship with Joseph. You can build a relationship, a, a, a sense of uh, a deep connection to, to, to St. Joseph by exploring his life. And so this is really, I think, a moment of Joseph in, in the life of the church. And, and so by reflecting on St. Joseph and following his life the way that we can, I think we're going to discover an awful lot about our own life of faith as well. So if we do that, we could naturally say in the lives of most saints, well, let's look at their writings. Well, it doesn't apply to Joseph. Well, we can at least look at the, the words that they spoke in the scriptures does not apply to Joseph. He did not speak any words. So how are we going to get near to Joseph? How are we going to get near to St. Joseph? Well, by exploring the events and happenings that we know from the scriptures or from our tradition that were part of his life. And so that's what I'm going to do. I have 10 moments, 10 Moments in the life of St. Joseph that will allow us to grow in our own sense of relationship to him. And walking alongside Joseph, we can be inspired to live our life of faith as well. So let's get started. So the first one is, let's call it the call of Joseph. The call of Joseph or his particular mission, right? Well, what was that mission? Well, we've already said to be the husband of Mary, and the foster father of Jesus, the Son of God. That, you know, to be the head of the Holy Family, that is a big mission. Well, how did that begin? How does that get started? Well, 
you're probably aware that in our tradition, there is this uh, uh, understanding that the Blessed Mother, as a young woman, was brought to the temple. Um, and there was entrusted to the temple to be a consecrated virgin, to, to live her life set apart for the Lord. She was dedicated to the Lord. And this was her understanding of her call to be totally available, totally dedicated and consecrated to the Lord. And so if this is her situation, well, as a a single woman, as a, a, a single woman under the law, she would, uh, in order to be able to, um, to, to, be able to, to thrive and flourish, would need a protector, someone to watch over her, someone to care for her. And so this is the role of the husband of Mary. And so the, the tradition is that when she was of age where she could be married, um, they gathered um, at the temple um, single men who were open to this idea that they would be potentially the one chosen to be the protector, the, the protector, the husband of Mary. And, and this is where Joseph comes in. And so I want you to, to think about this as three moments in the life of Joseph. Three aspects or three profiles or three facets of this call of Joseph, this identification of Joseph to be the husband of Mary, the protector of the Blessed Mother. In those three moments, I summarize as, I will go, I will throw, and I will follow. I will go, I will throw, and I will follow. The first is I will go. And what do I mean by that? Well, at some moment in the life of Joseph, he heard about this invitation. At some moment, Joseph, a single man, available for this call, uh, for this opportunity to be the protector, the husband of Mary, he heard about it. And inside of him, there needed to be a disposition, a readiness, an openness to say, I will go. And that prompting was something that he would have sensed inside of him. I want you to just to imagine what that was like when Joseph first heard, oh, the young woman Mary, who's completely dedicated to God as a single woman, requires a protectress, a husband, to care for her and watch over her. Who will be that one? Wow. Maybe I should go. Maybe I'll, I'll go check it out. Whatever it was, there was something inside of him. He had this space within him to sense this prompting. It, it, it probably wasn't something where he was forced to go by his parents or by his friends. Uh, he probably it was not something that he was just sort of stumbling along and then said, oh, what's going on in over here? Let me go check it out. No, there was probably, there was this moment when something evoked within him a yes, I will go. And okay, so now he goes, and now he shows up at the temple, and here they gather around, the priests or whoever was in charge of this process, then says, here we have a number of uh, uh, single men who are available to say yes to this call, well, how will we decide? How will we know whom it is that the Lord is choosing to be the husband protectress of the Blessed Mother? Well, somehow they came to this decision that the way that they would decide was by giving God a chance to identify who it is that would be the one. And they had all of the, the men that were there uh, to put their staff into, into the pile, to throw their staff down onto the floor. And the Lord would make known his choice in a way that they would know. And that's where you have the symbol of the lily. The lily symbolizes purity. St. Joseph is known as the most chaste spouse of the Blessed Mother, the one who lived a, a life of purity. And the tradition is that when St. Joseph threw his staff in among the other staffs, uh, 
from the top of his staff grew a lily. And that became the sign, the indicator, this miraculous intervention from heaven identifies Joseph as the one chosen. But again, I want you to just ponder this for a moment. Because when Joseph is there, he had that openness, that general sense of openness, I will go. And now he hears about the moment. Here's the moment. If you are willing to undertake this task and be among those whom God would choose to fulfill this role, throw your staff down into the pile on the floor and God will assign the the mission. God will reveal his decision. But you have to make the decision to throw your staff into the pile. What was that like for Joseph? What was it like for him in that moment? He had to make the choice. He had to make the decision. I will throw. So this unfolding of the vocation, the mission of Joseph, first had that moment of general openness, that openness that said, I will go. I'll go check it out. I have that space within me. And then when he's there, he has to be willing to make the decision, I will throw. He will go all in. And then when the lily emerged and he was the one, it was then up to him to say, I will follow. I will fulfill this commitment. I will live it out faithfully. I will follow. I will follow through. I will live it out. I will be faithful in my commitment. I will go, I will throw, and I will follow. Now this actually is a beautiful manifestation of a a particular theology in the church. Of what? I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Karn. It's great to be with you today. Today I'm reflecting on St. Joseph and your life. I'm sharing with you reflections that I offered last Saturday at St. Joseph's in Otis Orchard when I was giving this talk on St. Joseph and your life. And I'm able to kind of more peacefully and, uh, and not as in a hurried a fashion be able to get through these 10 moments in the life of Joseph and sharing them with you in order to be able to help you uh, grow in your relationship with Joseph and see how Joseph living his call and these events in the life of Joseph shine a light on our lives of faith. And so just before the break, I, I mentioned that Joseph's, these three moments in the call of Joseph to be the husband of Mary uh, were manifested in these three statements. I will go, I will throw, and I will follow. And I mentioned that these are uh, a beautiful example of the church's theology of, here's the word, freedom. The church's theology of freedom manifested in three levels in three dimensions. And these three levels of freedom are are a sign of the growth in human freedom, the growth in freedom that is associated with growth in maturity as a human being. So the first level is I will go. That's that sense of openness. And And I mentioned that Joseph being open for this prompting to occur meant that he wasn't trapped and forced. And so the first level of freedom, that first level of of experiencing an authentic sense of human freedom at a very ground level, is the experience of having space. You don't feel trapped. You don't feel pressured in such a way that the walls are closing in around you and you have no room to operate and move. You're stuck. I don't have any space at all to make any choice. I'm forced. I'm trapped. Or... I don't have any bearings, the ability to get any bearings or any any sense of direction around me at all. The walls have fallen away. I feel abandoned. And those are terrifying psychological experiences. The feeling of being abandoned and cut off from everyone or feeling trapped. So the 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 and so the experience, the fundamental first experience of 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 freedom is having a sense of space in which to operate. Think of four walls, or think of like a crib for a baby. The baby has space to operate and move around, but there are definitely walls. That baby cannot move beyond those walls. Is the baby trapped? No, the baby has some space to move, but the baby's also safe and not just there are no walls and the baby can just move around anywhere. No, 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 no. The proper level of freedom at a, at a basic level, 
base level is having a sense of space. I will go. I'm open to consider this. But then space has to give rise to the next level of freedom, which is choice. And so choice is that level of freedom that says, okay, well, I've got some space. I've got these four walls, but there's also, there's also a doorway. I can go through door number one or door number two. And, and there are consequences if you go through door number one or consequences if you go through door number two. There's a reward and a punishment. You can choose to do what is healthy and good, and you're going to be rewarded. You're going to choose to do what is not healthy. You're going to do what is bad and evil, and you're going to experience a sense of darkness, confusion, and bondage. And so life, growth, and freedom is a matter of discovering that choice has consequences, rewards, and punishments, and learning the fundamental laws of human living, the laws of honoring God, honoring other human beings, and honoring myself, honoring the way that God has created us. And so that decision, that choice, the way that we mature is by learning through choices how it is we're going to actually live our lives. So I will go is going to lead to, I will throw, that openness is going to lead to choices. But ultimately, those choices need to lead to a decision. Maturity in human freedom at its ultimate level is making and keeping commitments. Making and keeping commitments. That's where our ultimate freedom lies. Not in choice, but in commitment. At a certain point, choice becomes a burden. We become burdened if we have to make the choice over and over and over again. No, I've made my choice. Now let me live it out. Okay, one of the things that I brought up is St. Joseph gets this. He understands the fact that people, if they're going to grow in their own understanding of their mission, need some space. And then within that space, they need to make some choices to help mature and grow, and then ultimately to make a decision, a commitment. And I think about that, like just for me at a human level, when I was discerning the priesthood, I had a, uh, when I was in the seminary, um, I had that sense of, well, I'll go, I'm open, I'm open to go, I'm open to that call to be a priest, and I'm going to now walk it out by the choices I've been making in, in, over the course of the years towards uh, in the seminary. And as I did that over the course of the years, one of the things that became more, oh, I, I definitely became more aware of and, and matured in my understanding of was the reality of celibacy, that idea that I was going to be giving myself over to the Lord unreservedly within the, in the sexual dimension of my being. And what I realized was that I, I wouldn't be able to make that sense of a mature commitment. I will follow. I will live this out. Because I had not entered that seminary with a sense of space. I felt trapped, stuck. Well, if I wanted to be a priest, I had to be celibate. It wasn't like, oh, I can't wait to join the seminary because I desire to be celibate. No, it's I wanted to enter the seminary because I wanted to be a priest. Oh, and if I had to be celibate, well, then that's something that I just have to do too. And so this whole reality of space, choice, and commitment was something that had to grow in me over time. And so when I ended up choosing to leave the seminary, it was for the sake of giving myself the space in which the Lord could then bring out into the open an invitation. Not the invitation to, to be a priest, but the invitation to be celibate. And so when I left the seminary, I ended up living in a community situation with other young men, um, and I was there discerning the call to be celibate. Totally apart from the call to be a priest, I was discerning the call to be a celibate. Because there, there's, that is a gift. It's not a burden. It's not a duty. It's, it's not principally a sacrifice. It's a gift. It's an invitation from the Lord. But as such, it's an invitation from the Lord. And so I put myself in a situation where I had the space to have the invitation to step forward. And it was in that context that I heard the call to be married. And so it was from a sense of having space to be invited to take a step forward. Does that make sense? Space, choice, and commitment. The last thing I'll share about this is that I, I mentioned in the, um, at the event 
that there, there, there could be some people there in the event who maybe had never heard that before. And that it's a really um, big deal. It's an important deal if you're raising kids to help them grow in their experience of freedom. Give them that sense of openness, that sense of space, but then also helping them to make choices that will help them to grow and eventually to help them realize that if you're going to really mature, you need to make a commitment, that that's where human freedom lies, not in choices, but in making a decision to live in accord with the choice that God has for you. The last thing I shared, though, about this point was that there are some in the, in the, in the audience that very well could have entered into um, a choice of life, a decision of life, where they feel now that sense that they're trapped, that they feel now the sense of a burden of having to make a choice day in and day out. And, and what I shared with them was that the Lord wants to heal. He wants to bring healing into those places in our hearts and in our lives where we feel that our most fundamental commitments that we're choosing to follow are being done without having that sense of space or choice. And so the Lord has healing in store for those of you who are married, let's just say that, but you feel trapped in your marriage, or you feel like it's exhausting to have to make the choice day in and day out. I just share with you that the Lord has healing purposes in store to give you a sense of recovering freedom, freedom at that level of space within your heart to be able to discover that sense that the Lord wants you to be free, or freedom with regards to not having to, to feel like every day having to make these choices over and over and over again. No, the Lord wants to free you from the burden of choice by freeing you to live your commitment. Well, there you go. There's the first moment. Wow, there we go. I'm this far into the program, and I've got that first moment covered out of these 10 moments in the life of St. Joseph connected to your life. Well, I mentioned that my son, John Mark, is going to join me for uh, a segment of the program, and he's going to do that um, after the break. And when we come back from Sound Insight, come back to Sound Insight, my son, John Mark, is going to join me to talk about, well, St. Joseph in a minute. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran, and I am now joined. I've got a special guest here for the last segment of the program. It's my son, John Mark. Hey, John Hi. Mark. Hi. John Mark, great to have you here. Uh, it was funny. It was uh, not funny. Uh, it was <laughs> inspiring to me when um, you said, hey, Dad, can I, I'm open to being on again if you want. That, yeah. that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And I, one of the things that happened on, um, uh, on Saturday was there was a, a father who came up to me and said, hey, I just got to let you know, I listened to that program where your son John Mark was on, 16-year-old. And, and I said, yeah. And he said, it was so, he was really touched by what you shared, John Mark, oh, wow. so much so that he actually got the program. He didn't play the part that I was on. He played the part <laughs> when you were on for, for, for his kids. He wanted his kids oh. to hear a young man their age who could talk about his faith uh, and the way that you were living your Lent, the way that you did. That was really mm-hmm. cool. Wow. Isn't that yeah, exciting? That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, and then there was also uh, someone had, during the, the share the spring share someone had, uh, they put little notes in, uh, little comments, and one of the comments was, have on John Mark. Uh, <laughs> and so they wanted more of you, John Mark. So here, by popular yeah. demand, is my son, John Mark. Well, John Mark... You found out that I was going to be talking about St. Joseph, mm-hmm. uh, kind of sharing a bit about the things that happened uh, in the teachings that I was I gave on Saturday. But you were like, yeah. hey, I'll be on, Dad. Why, why did mm-hmm. you want to come on talking about St. Joseph? Uh, yeah, so during this Lent, I've been doing this consecration to St. Joseph. It's a book written by Father Donald H. Calloway. I hope I pronounced that right. And it's... Uh, walks you through a bunch of different prayers and a bunch of different stories and history and theology behind St. Joseph and the life he lived and things we can learn from it and different blessings you get uh, by consecrating yourself to him. So it's been really great and really uh, nice having it in uh, 
preparation for Easter. It's kind of an easy to read book. Uh, you know, it has uh it's it's kind of written as like 33 days of reflections, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just kind of each day gives you like an overview of what the prayers and what the teaching is going to be behind. And then it uh, sends you to another page where it uh, has a writing and kind of has teaching. And then uh, the last page is the litany of St. Joseph. Nice. So as you have been going through um, the book, is there, is there any particular theme that sort of jumps out at you um, mm-hmm. as being very like meaningful, like right now, for instance, or just something that you, you'd like to share? Um, yeah. So one section that I just finished or that just occurred in these last couple of days was the um, St. Joseph being the savior of the savior. So when it talks about... Just say that again. That's a that's a yeah. pretty striking <laughs> phrase. The Savior of the Savior. Yeah. Uh, so the, obviously the Savior is Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I want to know in what way was Joseph the Savior of the Savior? I think I know, but I, I want to hear yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So when King Herod was um, trying to hunt down, hunt down Jesus and the angel came to St. Joseph and told him to flee, St. Joseph uh, listened to the angel and fled with uh, Mary and Joseph. Or, sorry, Mary and Jesus. So that is how Joseph was the savior of the savior, was he saved Jesus uh, when he was a child. That's that's a pretty awesome thing to think of. Uh, yeah. Do, do you know who is the apostle to the apostles? Um, was it? The apostle to the apostles. I want to guess St. John. Mm, okay, no? so think of the resurrection. Yeah. And so who was it that Jesus appeared to? Uh, at the tomb, who came to the tomb looking for Jesus, and then when she found out, uh, she had an encounter with Jesus and then ran off to the apostles. Remember who that was? Oh, yeah, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is called the Apostle to the Apostles. She was the one sent to the one sent. So there you go. There's a little diversion right there. But let's go back to um, so uh, St. Joseph as the Savior of the Savior. Um, So what did you take from that? Um, Yeah, so... Not necessarily uh, that specifically, but by that reading, it also talked about how St. Joseph uh, really led the family, led the Holy Family. You'd be thinking that uh, Jesus being the Son of Christ and being God and Mary being the Immaculate Conception, you'd kind of think that they'd carry the weight in their family. But it actually, this book really makes it clear that St. Joseph was the true leader of their family and how he was a servant leader, which is a which I think is like a very important role, which a leader has to be, is a servant. I mean, if you look at the Bible, you can see it multiple different times um, through Adam serving uh, Eve and Noah building the ark and serving uh, his family and just other times how David became king by serving, by going against um, Saul. Saul. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and yeah, so... That's how you see different servant leaders. And then, obviously, Jesus Christ coming and dying for us and being the bond servant. So those are just different examples of being a servant leader. So you can see throughout St. Joseph's life how he was a virtuous uh, leader and a very uh, true, true, real man. Well, and, and let's being... think about that for a minute because like, I think when most people think of Jesus as the servant leader, they think about... Um, the fact that he underwent his passion, like mm-hmm. he was scourged and crowned and had to carry the cross and was crucified. So things happened to him. Yeah. Or that he was a servant leader when he washed to the feet mm-hmm. of the apostles at the Last Supper. And so it was a very humble task. But the idea that he, that uh, St. Joseph was the servant leader by being willing to do the courageous act of picking up his family and fleeing from a persecution. He didn't just say, well, I'll sit here yeah. and watch this happen, but he actually had to take strong action. Mm-hmm. That's that's also a servant leader. Yeah, and something also on that is uh, it talked about the fourth joyful mystery, the presentation of the child Jesus at the temple, and about how it was prophesied how Jesus would undergo the... Um, scourging and about how he would undergo death for us but also talked about uh the piercing of the heart of mary and if you step back and you really think about it 
you can see how both Mary and Jesus both must have really suffered here. I mean, Jesus was a child, so he wouldn't really understand what was happening. But Mary must have understood what was happening uh, very deeply. But also St. Joseph, seeing that his wife and his son were both going to suffer and that he would not be able to take their suffering and undergo it himself, but all he could do was prepare them for it. So in that sense, you can also see how St. Joseph behind Mary and Jesus suffered the most, like more than all the martyrs, because he as the father would love to, and as every father should and does, uh, would love to prepare their family or give everything they have to their family, like give them good housing and good food and uh, give them a good upbringing in faith and trust in Christ. But now he could not undergo the suffering they had to go undergo and all he could do now was prepare them for that. So throughout St. Joseph's life, he was constantly preparing Mary and preparing Jesus to undergo their suffering at Calvary. So That's really interesting. I, yeah. To be honest with you, I never really thought about that. Uh, and I'd gone through, I, I don't think I've gone through the Consecration of St. Joseph book in great, great detail. So I didn't remember that theme. But when you say it, it's like, wow, what a profound insight into mm-hmm. the presentation that Joseph carried that with him, you know, from that moment forward. How do I prepare my wife and the Son of God to suffer? And I can't be there. I won't be there. I might not be there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if he knew that he for sure that he wouldn't be there, but he certainly had to prepare them even if he wasn't going to be there. Yeah. That's really powerful, John Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this is my, I got my son John Mark with me today on Sound Insight. This is uh, Tom Curran. And John Mark, you have about a minute left. Is there anything else you want to share in the minute that remains about um, the book, The Consecration to St. Joseph? Are you, ex- are you excited about making the consecration? Uh, yeah, it's really nice. It's awesome. Throughout the whole book, it's constantly reminded about all the great gifts or all the things that happen when you consecrate yourself to St. Joseph or when you pray to St. Joseph. All these different saints uh, are quoted and give testimonies to how whenever they turn to St. Joseph, their prayers were um, pretty quickly seen or the answers to their prayers were pretty quickly revealed to them. So I'm really excited for that. And I can already see in my life how uh, the book and how St. Joseph has led me to be a stronger man, especially during the Lent. Just, um, just like, I guess, saying no to the desires of the flesh or the pleasures, and especially food. So being uh, able to say no to um, minor pleasures so that when I do face uh, larger temptations, I'll be able to reject that and follow Christ and pick up the cross. So just how St. Joseph overall in my life has led me to be more courageous in Christ and to pray, especially in times of temptation. So also to be more prudent. That's beautiful, John Mark. Boy, I love that. Uh, it makes me. Um, it makes. I, I know that mom, yeah, yeah, Carrie, my wife, mm-hmm. is also reading the book. Um, she is preparing to do the consecration on Friday on the feast of the Annunciation. Um, and so, well, John Mark, we'll have you come back and give us um, some more wisdom and insight that yeah. you're getting <laughs> from the consecration to Saint Joseph. Yeah, totally. uh, but we're up against that end of our program today. Folks, tomorrow on Sun Insight, I'm going to dig further into St. Joseph and your life by continuing to unfold the things that I shared on Saturday at St. Joseph's. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sun Insight.